Hello, podcasting world. I'm PJ Elliott. Usually you'd be hearing Craig Hoffman do the intro and outro for, you know, his own podcast, but he's busy, man, jet-setting all around the world. He's got the Senior Bowl leaving for that on Monday and numerous TV appearances. Nonetheless, I'm here doing yeoman's work, as uh, as the rooster would say. Uh, pretty good podcast for today. Overall, it was a great show on Sunday. Probably my favorite segment where Craig was bullying a 14-year-old boy playing pickup basketball. Uh, I really enjoyed that, so we're going to play that for you, as well as the full Mark Bullock interview from the Washington Post. Of course, he'll talk about the Redskins. Craig's also going to get into the Rooney Rule with the Raiders and how they were found compliant with that by hiring John Gruden. And then we'll end things with Allie Raisman and her brave court appearance where she confronted her attacker. Uh, the judge gave her the opportunity to to speak her piece, and uh, she well, she sure did. So that uh, that was a great segment. You'll hear that all next here on the Hoffman Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Sports Radio 106.7, The Fan. We have an award to give out, PJ. Craig Hoffman with you here on The Fan. We have the Petty Award of the Day. We need to come up with a good name for this, and uh, we need to do this weekly. Today's Petty Award... The Richard Petty Award. That was a very Danny Ruye line of me. Maybe Tom have, Petty. Tom Petty. Dan, uh, Richard Petty. Um, now Is that like the I'm South that, Carolina coming out of any NASCAR I, references? I, I guess. I don't even like NASCAR. David Petty. Except for his real name is David Blatt. You remember David Blatt, right? Former coach of the Cavaliers. David Blatt. He, went, he was an amazing coach in Europe. Came here, uh, thought he was going to coach a young Cavaliers team. Then they signed LeBron James. He lasted a year and a half, then got kicked to the curve for Ty Lue. Uh, David Black coaching the All-Star, an All-Star game in Turkey before the game said, quote, I hope we don't give up as many points as Cleveland did last night. End quote. End award. Well done, David Black. Tom Brady hand update, as promised. Brady normally walks in carrying his bag in his right hand. Today, the bag was slung over his shoulder and his hand was in his pocket. Oh, do we have like a bum, 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 bum? I have uh, the sound, is the sound machine in front of me on? You turn it on? That's all I got. I don't know, what if I hit another random button? Breaking news. Breaking news. What, uh, Tom Brady's hand was in his pocket, so we still haven't seen it. I need to familiarize myself with this little sound Oh, you're on, you're on Chad's uh, settings. <laughs> this could get ugly. Gato Bow Wow. This is just a bunch of rooster. And I don't care that you have your feelings offended. <laughs> That's actually a great transition. So yesterday, uh, your boy went over to uh, to shoot some hoops, get a little get a little sweat in, uh, solo style, just work on my game a little bit. The handle and the shot were a little sloppy in my last pickup game. Needed a little bit of bit of work. Come see me; I'll fix it for you. I I I should come practice with you guys anytime, anytime. You're at Stafford Brook Point down Brooke in Point. Stafford. It's a long drive for a basketball it's not, it's practice. Not, it's not that bad. From Reston? What time's practice? 
Um, well, we've got exams this week. So Thursday is a half day. Okay. We'll practice from like 12. This, this week's out because I'm in Alabama. Oh. I'm well, usually uh, practice is 2.30 to 5. Tell you what. You got a commitment for me to come practice one day with you guys. Okay. I'm going to get worked by a bunch of high school kids. Um, anyway, PJ's a basketball coach for those that are unfamiliar. But this, this little 14-year-old kid comes up to me and he's like, you want to play one-on-one? And I go, nope. And so I sh- shoot around for another 15, 20 minutes and he comes back. He's like, you sure? And this kid's not, not great. And I'm a pretty good pickup player. And I'm also like a grown 27-year-old. Pretty good shape. Can play a little bit. And this kid, like, but isn't it weird to play by yourself? No, not really. It's kind of how you get better. So I take off my my beats. Like, all right, kid. Let's play to seven. Seven one later, or five one later. He made one, like, semi-nice move, so I let him shoot, and he got lucky, and the ball went in. That's how he got his one. Five one later, I'm standing at the top of the key going, you really going to let me shoot this? Whap. 7-1. All right, let's play again real quick. 7 nothing later. That wasn't the jerk part. It's how I did it. I got to the point where it was 5 nothing, and I go, who's your favorite player? And you called the shot. Yeah. Oh, Lord. Kyrie, wop, 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 wop. And between the legs, my handle was not fast enough to, to really Kyrie him, but I did hit like a nasty reverse layup with extra English on it. And then I was like, who's your next favorite player? CP3. And I did the, you know when CP3 like gets bored and when he's got a big switched on him and doesn't really feel like breaking his ankles, but just does the, I'm going to dribble between my legs six times slowly and then hit a pull-up jumper. Like just, oh. just indignant Chris Paul. Did that one. And then he's like, I just got to get better. Like, I'm good for my age. And I basically went, no, you're not. That may have been a little bit jerkish. Like, hey, kid, I love your enthusiasm. But, like, people pay me to help them get better at sports. And I'm not going to give you my time for free. Which was my excuse to get him to leave me (laughs) alone. Bro, I wanted him to leave me alone. Okay. And then he did. So it worked. But on a scale of like one to Bill Belichick with the media surrounding Tom Brady's hand, where was I? Man. I mean, well, I mean, 14 is a freshman. So it, I don't know. I, I, a seven. Okay. A seven. I can live with that and sleep great tonight. Yeah. Don't care. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's nice as an adult winning in basketball. I didn't care. I wanted it to be, oh, that's like, I could have taken it easy on him, but I wanted it to be over and I wanted him to leave me alone. Maybe wanted, he was a fan of your work. Perhaps. It's a fan of my stylings. Not anymore. Saw my in and out dribble pull-ups and was like, I'm, talk, I'm talking about your that. reporting work. He didn't know who I you was. You don't know that. It's the beauty of radio. Because you've never been on TV. <laughs> I dabble. (laughs) If I say a more pretentious douchebag thing all day, I want someone to punch me in the face. Coming up next, we'll talk about sports again.
1067. It's the Hoffman Show on The Fan. I am Craig Hoffman. Uh, yesterday, I got a chance to chat with Mark Bullock of the Washington Post about a couple of quarterbacks. I think I set this all up in the interview, so let's just play the interview. Here is me and Mark. Joining me now on the Mattress Warehouse Hotline is Mark Bullock of the Washington Post. You can read his work at WashingtonPost.com. They call him the outsider because, as you'll hear from a moment, he is covering the Redskins from across the pond in London, is excellent on the X's and O's of football. And, Mark, this time of year our attention turns to the prospects. And we got our eyes on the quarterbacks. And you've been watching tape of two guys that I'm going to get to see down in Mobile, Alabama at the Senior Bowl this week and Josh Allen and uh, Baker Mayfield. Let's start with Mayfield because I, I think he's the more likely, obviously, of the of the two to wind up in Washington if Washington does indeed go that route in the first round. Your first pass at watching some tape of Baker Mayfield, what were some of the positives that stuck out? Yeah, some of the positives. Um, he's definitely very good um, off schedule, and he's a very aggressive um, with with his mindset as a quarterback. Um, a lot of people compare him to sort of Brett Favre in, in his mindset in in the way he he will attack downfield, and he very rarely misses an opportunity to um, take a deep shot, um, which I think would probably match up with what Jay Gruden would like in a quarterback. Um, but he's not just reckless in in throwing the ball deep every single play. He's very good at manipulating deep defenders, um, using his eyes and his shoulders um, to position the deep defender the way he wants it to clear space for um, whichever shot he's taking. Um, so he's he's a very good deep ball thrower. Um, he loves to take those deep shots, um, but he can also um, buy time in the pocket um, and, in, and he can scramble around. He's, he's got good legs. He can run. Um, and uh, if, if a play breaks down, he's very good at, at creating his own yards, um, either running or scrambling to extend plays and, and then finding an open receiver. Um, so, yeah, go ahead. You know, so, so you've had this chance to watch this All-22 tape um, at the college level, which a lot of us haven't had the chance to do over the, the last couple of years. I'm hoping as, as we move forward with draft processes that the All-22 at the college level becomes as available as it has been at the NFL level. But I think one of the big things that you're able to take away is you get to really see what the defense is doing. So he's doing all these things that sound amazing, but against what level of defense, I, I would, I guess, be my question. As you've been able to chance to, or been given the chance to see how defenses are defending him how how different is the level of defense he's been able to do these things against versus what he'll see at an nfl level yeah sure the um the windows are definitely um smaller in in the nfl and um and they they don't close quite as quickly in college as they do in the nfl so um there's a couple of throws that um he might not necessarily get away with um the biggest thing i think he'll notice is the pass rush um, because he often sees three or four man rushes because his offensive line just stonewalls basically most pass rushes. Um, and so he, he had, a lot of the time he has four or five, six seconds to just stand in the pocket and, and wait on receivers to get open. Um, and then if something breaks down, he can scramble, um, giving it even more time. So he won't have that anywhere near that amount of time at the next level. Um, I, I think that's the main thing he'll he'll potentially struggle with um, getting used to is the amount of time and and how quickly he'll need to go off of his first read and move on to his second then move on to his third if it's not there um, because he can be a little bit slow in that process mark bullock washington post with me craig hoffman here on 1067 the fan all right what are the negatives you just touched on some things that maybe have to change i don't know if that necessarily goes in the negative column Uh, what are some of the negatives on baker mayfield as you if you study tape of him 
Yeah, um, well, while he um, he he uh, he does take a little bit too to- too long to um, to process through his his first and second reads, and and sometimes he can he can lock on to his first read, um, especially if it's a deep shot um, and, and he thinks he can have it, um, he he'll stay on it a little bit too long and, and potentially miss windows elsewhere. Um, there was one throw, I think it was against Iowa State, where he um, he locked onto a go ball down the sideline. Um, from the far hash and he ba- he basically had no chance of making it and he had a deep over from the other side that he could have easily hit for a 20-yard gain but instead he tried to launch this deep ball 50 yards across the field and got nowhere near it so um yeah he 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 can take a little bit too long to come off of his first read he can lock on a couple times um and he he doesn't always look total totally natural on, on sort of timing plays um he, he's all right anticipating when it's a sort of horizontal cut. So if a guy's cutting in or out, he'll anticipate the guy winning that way. But if it's a, a, a sort of vertical route where they're breaking back towards him, like a curl or a comeback where he needs to be in rhythm and then get rid of the ball on time and anticipate them breaking and, and the ball's out before they break, that time, that's when he can be a little bit slow and, and he, he sort of waits rather than anticipates. He waits to see them break. Um, and at the NFL level, corners will be able to make up the ground and, and break up those passes or potentially intercept them if he um, if he waits rather than anticipates. This breakdown is so interesting to me because there are things that I know Jay Gruden loves in a quarterback that you've described and said Baker has. There's things that would absolutely murder the Redskins offense the way it's been operating um, with, with some of the things you just said. End of the day, putting I mean, you've studied the Redskins offense extensively. You know um, as, as well as anyone can in your position how, without you know talking to Jay, um, but, but really seeing how this offense works on tape, you know what this offense needs out of a quarterback so at the end of the day do you think baker mayfield fits that at a level that is worthy of say the 13th overall pick uh i think i think he can get there for sure um obviously year one he he they would need to pull in the playbook a little bit from what they have with cousins with cousins at the moment because he's in his what third or fourth year in the system he he knows everything and they run everything and it's a vast offense um they'd have to rein it in probably a fair bit um and and you'd probably want to take away some of those like curls and comebacks um that we talked about with where they're timing stuff um and you'd probably want to incorporate a little bit more of maybe read option and and the run pass option plays um that they have at Oklahoma, where and that can sort of supplement the short passing game. Um, but the the thing that I think would entice Gruden to Mayfield is his aggressive mindset and wanting to take those deep shots. Um, and and as we heard throughout the season, Gruden was always wanting Cousins to attack more. Um, with with Mayfield, he wouldn't have to worry about that at all. Mayfield will not miss a chance to take a shot. Mark Bullock, Washington Post, with me, Craig Hoffman, here on 1067. The fan, Mark, as all guests, joins us on the Mattress Warehouse Hotline. What do you make of the height thing with Mayfield? He's not very tall, um, but that that hasn't stopped Russell Wilson, Drew Brees, etc. It has been a problem for some other quarterbacks. How does his height factor in his evaluation? Uh, personally, for me, I don't see it as an issue. Um, he, he does a good enough job um, from the pocket. He's pretty good at being able to move around, step up in the pocket, um, and, and break out when he needs to. Um, and, and you can certainly do plenty of things like rolling him out um, and um, on bootlegs and what have you. Um, and play action passes can draw everyone up. And, and the way he's able to manipulate deep defenders um, suggests that he doesn't have any real problem um, seeing 
his his lanes, um, his throwing lanes. So uh, I, I'd say personally, it's not a huge problem. But I know there are teams that that they have their sort of benchmark at six one or six two, and if if a quarterback is below that, they just won't draft a guy. Um, whether the Redskins are one of those teams or not, I don't know. But for me, it's not an issue. Yeah, he's. Um, it's interesting because Cousins is not that big either. He's not. He's not as short as Mayfield, but he's not like he's six five, six six, like a guy like Peyton Manning or Tom Brady is. Um, all right, the other guy that you've spent a little time watching in the past couple of days, and Mark's going to join us throughout the offseason as he's, he works as we work towards the draft, and um, he breaks down more and more players and, and watches more and more tape. But um, he spent a lot of time this, this past week breaking down ba- Baker Mayfield and then Josh Allen, um, who are the two guys I'm going to see at the Senior Bowl this week. So I thought focusing on those two would be a good thing for us do today um a lot of people surprised that josh allen went one one you know round one pick one in mel kuyper's first mock draft how surprised were you after you watched the tape do you think he's worthy of that high of of an evaluation that is a is it's a bit rich for me um he 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 has what he has is is a a really good size he's he's six five he looks about 230 he's got a good frame um he's been compared to sort of andrew luck cam newton with the with a body size um and mobility sort of factor um and he he has a ridiculous arm like it it's absolutely elite he would walk into the nfl and be elite straight away um with the the type of throws that he can make from sort of any arm angle and without his feet set is absurd um i I saw him in the bowl game throw a sort of maybe 50 yard pass kind of off of basically one leg um down the field on the money um and the guy dropped it in the end zone so um but yes he um he has a ridiculous arm and that's what will draw teams to him um he does also he has he seems to have some sort of good understanding of of, he has a good football iq um because he's asked to do a lot at the line of scrimmage which many young quarterbacks aren't um in terms of um identifying blitzers and rushes um and and changing protections uh and calling uh, audible routes and what have you um so there, there, i've seen a couple of different instances where he's identified um a, a blitz coming from a, a corner blitz or an inside linebacker instead of an outside linebacker and he's adjusted his protection and his protection has picked it up um so that is definitely a plus for him um however he he has the the big knock on him is his accuracy um yeah, I think he has something like a career completion percentage of around 56 or 57%, um, which is below the sort of 60% threshold that most people like and uh, people would probably prefer more 65% from college quarterbacks. Um, and so the accuracy for me, down the field, it's, it doesn't seem that bad. Um, it's the shorter underneath stuff, stuff to the flat, like screens and, and swing passes to the running back and checkdowns and what have you. Those are the things where he he doesn't seem to have the best understanding of of situational when to put touch on the ball, when to absolutely gun it. Because of his arm, he he just kind of almost guns every single throw. Um, so he he guns it to the flat when a running back's not particularly prepared for it and he'll either overthrow him or he'll throw it too hard or miss him from not getting his feet set properly and just trying to gun it with his arm um so i think that explains a fair bit of his accuracy issues um he has had a couple of bad decisions and what have you as well um throwing the ball further down the field but i think that 
is one of the bigger factors from what I've seen so far, at least. Obviously, um, of his accuracy. say obviously he's at Wyoming, and with all due respect to Wyoming football, gave us gave us Chase Rouye, which is great. Um, but with all due respect to uh, Wyoming football, those are not the world's best coaches. The world's best coaches exist in the NFL. How much of that short accuracy can be fixed with with some coaching, uh, just on on the the ideas, as you said, to hey, maybe this is not a ball we have to gun, uh, and yeah. also the footwork that that accompanies that yeah that's that's going to be the big question with him is is how much do you think you can fix those flaws um and if you think you can flick fix them then sort of him being in the conversation for number one overall isn't uh, as ludicrous as it might seem um because he obviously the arm is is fantastic um but they they're not easy issues to fix it, it takes a lot of work to to fix footwork and, and making sure that he's getting the rhythm and timing of, it, of his steps down properly um, and make sure that, that that kind of resets in his mind, his muscle memory um, of, of his footwork so that it, if he gets a rush or what have you, it doesn't default back to what he was doing previously. Um, but it's not impossible to do that because we've seen sort of Carson Wentz this year go through it where his rookie year his footwork was terrible some of the time and he'd miss easy throws that you think he should make too um, and then this year he was nearly MVP level so um, it's not impossible but it, it's not something that's particularly easy um, and it would take a lot of good coaching um, and then again there is also just with the sort of taking touch on the ball that's not necessarily I don't know how coachable that is. I don't know whether that's a sort of you've got to understand or you don't understand it. Um, whether when to when to take something off and when to gun it. Um, I don't know how coachable that is. Yeah, you hope that you could coach the idea, coach the, to visualize it up. But um, some guys it'll click, some guys it won't. Mark, this is great. Uh, we will definitely do this again. Always appreciate your knowledge, sir. Uh, if you want to follow Mark on Twitter, you should do so at Mark Bullock NFL. Read his work in the Washington Post, WashingtonPost.com. Mark, uh, thank you, sir, and we will talk soon. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for having me on. The D.C. Sports Station is Sports Radio 1067, The Fan. Hoffman Show on the fam. We're with you until 12.15 today because the Caps play at 12.30 and 12.15 means pregame starts. This is two straight Caps pre-pregames for me. I was I was on Friday. They won on Friday, right? Canadians? No, they lost. They lost? But Vic told me the Canadians stink. That's it. Vic Ferreira, you're fired. For getting a prediction wrong, because I've never gotten a prediction wrong in my life. <laughs> yes, they lost three to two. Sheesh. What was I doing Friday night? Not watching the Caps. No, clearly not. What or, was I doing, though? I don't know either. TV? No, I was not on television Friday. Man, my memory is starting to go. Man, that's what happens when you get old. I'm way too young for this bleep. I almost forgot that I'm not allowed to say that word on the radio. Um, all right. So there's been a lot of talk um, about the Rooney rule recently with good reason, um, and that is the Raiders made on some level a mockery of it. 
with their hiring of John Gruden. And it makes everybody think, like, why, why does this rule even exist? Like, and, and, you know, should there be exceptions? Like, hey, the, the Raiders knew they wanted to hire John Gruden because they wouldn't have even fired Jack Del Rio if they didn't. Uh, and it's just, it's stupid. It, it's, it, it makes a sham out of what's supposed to be something that's supposed to help people. So if you're not familiar, the Rooney Rule is, is a version of affirmative action where the NFL requires for head coach and front office positions for teams to uh, interview at least one minority candidate. And I guess in a way, there's no way to avoid getting some level political with this because there's a lot of people that disagree with that concept in general. But as it applies to the NFL, um, it applies the same way as it does a lot of businesses. Businesses of many kinds, radio stations, NFL franchises, uh, the NFL collective, brokerage firms, other kinds of businesses, you tend to hire the people that you know. And going back years and years and years, there just weren't a lot of uh, minority, whether that be African-American, Hispanic, whatever, coaches around the NFL. So it's like, hey, we're just, you know, we're hiring the people we know, but you're, the circle was never expanding. And that has changed a little bit as you have some former players, obviously in a league that is overwhelmingly African-American in terms of the players. Um, they, You've got a lot of former players that are becoming coaches and some of the, the, um, the circles are starting to very slowly expand. And so you have Mike Tomlin, for instance, in Pittsburgh, who was a part of the John Gruden tree. And he got in, in uh, and got an interview. And, and it was interesting because the Rooney rule is, you know, obviously named after Art Rooney. And sure enough, that is someone who came in, was so impressive in an interview that he got a job. And he may have been getting interviewed in part because of the rule itself. So it's like, hey, it worked. It's textbook. Great. But what happens when a, a candidate is already predetermined, like John Gruden in Oakland? And there's plenty of pushback, too, because part of the, one of the guys who was making the hire, Reggie McKenzie, is black. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, the black guy's trying to skate the Rooney rule. Yeah, that, that just proves how stupid it is. But Stephen White, who was an NFL player and now writes for Bleacher, or sorry, for SB Nation, um, and is just super smart on all things NFL had a tweet that I tend to agree with and I think framed the Rooney Rule discussion of why it is working and it is important far more that are far better than I could. Again, I'm Craig Hoffman here on 1067 The Fan. You can get some calls on this. Sure, why not? 800-636-1067. Uh, this is the part of the show where PJ hates me. The more I think about it, uh, this is Stephen White on Twitter, the more I think about it, the more obvious it is the Rooney Rule was written specifically for minority candidates who aren't a team's first choice. Because if they were a top choice, nobody would have to force that team to interview them to satisfy the rule. And uh, a person tweets back at him, the guy's name is Eric. Uh, Yes, you want to hire Coach X, you interview Coach Y because of Rooney. He impresses you, you hire X, but next time you're talking to another owner, you say Coach Y is really impressive. It's longer term than one job. And that's exactly it. 
And Stephen adds, exactly. Or Coach X gets hired by another team, and you remember Coach Y interviewing well, so you bring him back for a second interview. Taking it seriously actually helps everybody, but it's just, quote-unquote, too much. I think that's exactly the point. So you have candidates like Steve Wilkes from the Panthers. He was the defensive backs coach for them. uh, And then when Sean McDermott left to go be the head coach in Buffalo, got elevated to defensive coordinator. He was someone the Redskins uh, had some interest in as defensive coordinator last year um, at the very, very, very encouraging uh, submission is not the right word. um, Advice of Josh Norman. He was Norman's position coach. Josh loves the guy, thinks the world of him. And he got elevated in Carolina, and so the, the Redskins never had a chance to hire him away. Um, and obviously, they they wound up staying internal with Minuski. But Wilkes is a guy that some teams have brought in to satisfy the Rooney rule. Well, he's still a finalist uh, for the Arizona job. There's a chance he still gets a job. There's some thought he could be the Giants guy that looks like it's going to go somewhere else. Um there's familiar there, Dave Gettleman, the, the former general manager of the Panthers, is now the Giants GM. But when your name keeps coming up, you keep getting these interviews and you get a chance to get some feedback. Hey, this was something you did well. We, we've all This is advice we give everybody uh, who's interviewing for jobs. Hey, just take the interview for the experience. And so the goal of the Rooney Rule ultimately, of course, is to expand the presence of minority coaches in the league as it should be because they're they're not representative of the football, like the current NFL coaching construct and the the demographics of NFL coaches don't at all represent the football world and the demographics of it. A league that is 70% black shouldn't be coached by coaches that are 90 whatever percent white. Just doesn't make any sense. And so, nor is it representative of the U.S. population or anything. Any, any qualifier you want to put up, it's not representative. So, the idea of the Rooney Rule is not just to get someone an interview. It's to expand the circle. It's to force teams to expand beyond what they know. So, let's say you're a team and a GM and an owner who doesn't know Steve Wilkes. At all. Didn't know Mike Tomlin. Didn't know Raheem Morris uh, when he got hired in, in Tampa. But you know, hey, this other team interviewed him. Maybe we should take a look. You do some research, you go, yeah, let's bring him in for an interview. And then maybe he's really impressive. And maybe he gets the job and he wouldn't have been on your radar otherwise. It's to force guys on, on the radar. Yes. But that's exactly the point. And so while I think it was the linebackers coach or the tight ends coach in, in, uh, in Oakland wound up getting interviewed to satisfy the Rooney rule. And they also interviewed uh, T. Martin, a former Tennessee quarterback who's been floating around and has been mentioned uh, in, in some college openings or for some college openings. Maybe now be, when uh, Mar- you know another team the Cardinals, whoever their owner is, calls up Mark Davis and says, hey, what, I, I, know, I know you guys were going to hire John, but what would you think of T. Martin? You know, he was actually good. 
Maybe he gets an interview in Arizona. Or next year, you know, someone else needs a head coach. That's why you do it. And that's why the Rooney rule as is, while maybe flawed in some way, maybe there are better ways to go about it, is fine and should stay in place. Because it's all about expanding the circle. And it's way too easy to stay comfortable. And what's been proven over the course of NFL history is teams will. So if you don't force them to expand the circle, they won't. So force them to. And that's why all the hullabaloo around the Rooney rule, sure. Does it mean that the Raiders shouldn't have hired John Gruden? No. It, it, it just means that they should interview some other people and maybe even make a recommendation to someone else uh, since they've got Gruden signed up for the next 10 years. And $100 million. That's crazy. Craig Hoffman with you here on 106.7 The Fan. I want to do a very serious thing next um, and give props to someone who we probably called an American hero about five years ago. And and boy, did she earn that title this week. And then then we'll find a lighter note to end the show by uh, on somehow, some way. Uh, Real things, real people said in the real microphones. We got some good ones. That's all next on The Fan. 106.7. 106.7. The Fan. All right, I'm Craig Hoffman. I have 15 minutes, and I have a very serious topic and then very not serious things to finish the show with. So this week in Michigan, the sentencing for Larry Nasser, the former um, physician for USA Gymnastics, is happening. In those... Uh, In those sentencing hearings, there's something called uh, victim impact statements. And the judge in this particular case has allowed any of Larry Nassar's well over 100 victims who would like to speak, speak. The list started about 80, and as many women started sharing their stories, it started to grow. And some of the names that you know from U.S. Olympic past decided to join in. Allie Raceman was chief among them, and Allie is someone who has been incredibly outspoken about Larry Nasser and and outspoken is a weird term because I feel like a lot of times it comes with a negative connotation um, but in this case you know I mean that fully positively she has been full throat since in November she said I'm a victim of Larry Nasser and and his sexual assault and since then she has been on a crusade to as best as she can make this right and that is helping now um, him people understand what, what he did and, and the justice he needs to face and is facing. He's already been convicted on child pornography charges, which are going to get him 66 years uh, in jail. He is facing over 100 years on top of that. Um, for this, this in Michigan, there are still more cases to come in two other locales, I believe. And... She is probably the most famous amongst his victims. The Fierce Five she was a part of in 2012, you know, we call these young women American heroes for their athletic performance. And whether it's Michaela Maroney, who has now spoken up, Jordan Weaver, Gabby Douglas, Allie Raceman, that is four of the five. Um, Kyla Ross has not spoken uh, and, and said that she is also a victim, but obviously it wouldn't be at all surprising. Um, it what they're doing and speaking truth to power is astounding. 
And it's not just statements like this directed at one of the most despicable humans that we've ever known in Larry Nasser. Larry, you do realize now that we, this group of women you so heartlessly abused over such a long period of time, are now a force and you are nothing. The tables have turned, Larry. We are here. We have our voices and we are not going anywhere. And now, Larry, it's your turn to listen to me. It wasn't just that she laid down the gauntlet on Larry Nasser, a small and pathetic man who took advantage of incredibly vulnerable people that he could have taken advantage of without the systemic advantages that he had, where they had no choice but to be alone with him. He set up a system where treatment was mandatory and it had to be alone. It's not just that she belittled him into the pathetic little man that he is. It's that she is going to tear the whole damn thing down. She is not just going after Larry Nasser, who's going to be in prison for the rest of his life and may rot there. It's that there was a system, USA Gymnastics, the U.S. Olympic Committee, Michigan State, where Nasser was employed, that ignored complaints for years with half-assed investigations at best and complete ignorance at worst. And, that, I mean, think about what I just said 90 seconds ago out loud. They had mandatory treatments that were required to be alone with a, a man who had at least been complained about and underage women? For your own life, like, what lawyer would look at that and be like, that's a good idea for liability's sake. Let's not let the parents in the room. What? It's insane. And, of course, there's the, the system, the, the social construct of he's a doctor and we're supposed to trust doctors. So all of that comes together and Ali Raceman, now 23 years old, comes out and says, no, 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 this isn't just one sick, horrible, pathetic man. There's a whole system here at play and it all needs to change. To believe in the future of gymnastics is to believe in change. But how are we to believe in change when these organizations aren't even willing to acknowledge the problem? It's easy to put out statements talking about how athlete care is the highest priority. But they've been saying that for years, and all the while this nightmare was happening. False assurances from organizations are dangerous, especially when people want so badly to believe them. They make it easier to look away from the problem and enable bad things to continue to happen. And even now, after all that has happened, USA Gymnastics has the nerve to say the very same things it has said all along. She's going to burn the thing down. She's got an army and they are like, they're coming. If I, if you are involved in USA Gymnastics and you want to keep your job, good luck. Because she ain't going to stop. And so when we, we look at the Olympians that drape themselves in our flag and we cheer them on, 
and we learn their stories as best we can. And, and NBC has done a great job for years in, in telling us about these incredible athletes. And the, the, specifically in the Summer Olympics, the gymnastics girls always become you know, America's sweethearts of the summer. And some of them can capitalize on that fame for years. Like, that's great. But, like, what's been amazing to watch in the last five years where Allie Raceman was 18 years old when she won her gold medal is how she's matured and stayed in the spotlight and is now becoming a force to change her sport and part of a bigger Me Too movement that is changing the world. That maturation, watching it, should make you feel so much more proud of her and that she represented us on a world stage than anything she did as an athlete. Craig Hoffman with you on the fan. Uh, Every Sunday, we will be here 9 to noon, maybe a little bit later, between Caps and Nats pregames when when they are starting. Uh, we'll, we'll, We'll be here every single Sunday, Peach. Uh, we'll be here as well for, for most of them. Hopefully, uh, we'll both be on some vacation sometime, which is fine. I won't hold it to you that you have to be here every Sunday. You just must leave a very good playlist. That's all that I ask. Uh, we will also uh, have a fairly significant announcement about other people that may be here. That might have been saying too much. With that announcement coming soon. So stay tuned to the Twitter, at Craig Hoffman, C-R-A-I-G-H-O-F-F-M-A-N, and at 1067 the fan for that Uh, Hopefully fairly soon. But no matter who is here and how we get to the end of this show, so long that we make it, we will end the show with real things real people say into real microphones. That is a a, a very fancy way of playing some of the best sound of the week, such as Shaquille O'Neal and Charles Barkley reading on Inside the NBA. Alienist premieres this Monday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time and is one of IMDb's most anticipated new shows of 2018. It's based on the best-selling murder mystery novel by Caleb Carr set in Kenny's hometown, New York City, 1896. There you go. Very nice. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Wait, wait a second. Time out. Yeah, Knuckleheads. Well, I know what you're going to say. Y'all giving him credit for knowing how to read? <laughs> All right, won't you read it then? Come on, Go. dude. And we'll Go see ahead. who's better. Okay. We'll see who's better. Go. Oh, boy. TNT the alienist premieres. TNT the alienist. TNT the alienist premieres. It's like you're trying to say the Outcast album, ATL. This isn't. No, this is a word. Not this. This ain't a word. Go ahead, Chad. Go ahead. Y'all quit screwing around. Go ahead. I can't read. No, you're going to have people you can't read. TNT the alienist. Okay, it's time. It's time for more Shaq than a fool. Just stop it, man. Stop. Oh, my God. Chuck. That Auburn education ain't everything it's cracked up to be. Oh, boy. Um, Speaking of things that didn't go the way they were intended, Josh Norman, Redskins corner Josh Norman, out in, uh, in England for the NFL UK tour. And he's with Emmanuel Sanders, who's a good friend of his. And apparently, uh, Josh pranks Emmanuel often when they're in Los Angeles. So they come to this event. Uh, all right, give it up for Emmanuel Sanders. Woo! And uh, then Josh Norman was going to come in second. And this is how that all went. Give a very warm Cardiff welcome to Emmanuel Sanders. 
We got flashing lights going everywhere. We got music. Emmanuel Sanders. Give it up for the great Josh Norman. What? <laughs> Y'all gotta be pranking me. This gotta be a prank. Come on now. <laughs> Let's Stone start cold. this over. Come on. I gotta get some of love. He's so uncomfortable. <laughs> Is this what you the guy in the Beckham jersey? There you go right there. <laughs> so there's one guy clapping and he's wearing an Odell Beckham jersey. I got it. And then everybody gives it up and, and Emmanuel Sanders is like, yeah, that was me getting revenge on you for all the times you played me in L.A. So like, but imagine, because it's like a club scene when Emmanuel Sanders walks in. They not only are stone cold silent when Norman walks in, they turn on all the lights in the room. It, it, it literally looks like he's walking into a different room. Like, like they, I thought at first the prank was they told Josh Norman the wrong place. And instead, he's just looking around like, what? It's fantastic video. I tweeted it out. It's at Craig Hoffman, C-R-A-I-G-H-O-F-F-M-A-N. Uh, if you missed it earlier in the show, my predictions for today's games go like this. I am picking the Patriots and the Vikings but I feel better picking the Vikings than the Patriots. I think the Jags have a real shot today. I think the Vikings are just flat out better than the Eagles. And last night in Minnesota, amidst Andrew Wiggins just murdering people with basketballs, he had some sick highlight dunks last night at the expense of other human beings with families. This was the scene the night before the NFC Championship game at a T-Wolves game. What's the strategy here if you're Toronto, Jim? Do you just try and knock them both down, or you got to make one and miss the second? I mean, it's you're, you're in a big hole here. And it's academic at this point as he misses the first. That's a skull chance so, in the background. Coach Thibodeau gets Marcus George's hunt out of the game. Gets Which, Tyus by Jones the way, free throw right there. Yeah, skull. That's one of the coolest things in pro sports. And I know that there's like the the Iceland hockey or Iceland soccer team tied to it, but like pro sports don't have things like that, except for they do, and that's awesome. Um, it's communal, it's dope, it what makes what it's what makes sports great. Not me talking about them. Apparently, clearly my time has expired. PJ, thank you for what you did. Thanks to Nick Wilson for joining us. Mark Bullock as well. Craig's back on Saturday from three to six p.m. and then Sunday nine a.m. to noon if you're in the D.C. area. Of course, you'll be able to hear him on 106.7 The Fan. If you're out of the market, got to get the TuneIn app. Download it in the iTunes store, Google store, basically wherever you can get it app. Download it. It's great. You can take it on the go. And, uh, if you, again, if you're not in the D.C. area, you can listen to 106.7 The Fan anywhere you're at. Thanks for listening. We'll see you, uh, I guess, next week.